Exes for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's Merry Mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today we have an awesome double feature for you. We have America Chavez, Made in the USA number one, as well as Hellions number ten. Now, okay, I know what you're thinking. America's awesome, but she's not a mutant. And I do agree. But she does have a number of mutant sort of tie-ins, whether it's in the pages of Young Avengers, which included one of our favorite mutants over on this show, Prodigy, who can currently be found in the pages of x-factor or it was her time with the west coast avengers alongside omega level asshole quentin choir america does connect to the mutant verse quite a bit and she's such an important character especially with the idea that she's going to see a bit more spotlight over in the mcu with her appearance in doctor strange and the multiverse of madness i think we're primed to see this new generation character come up a bit more which is part of why the four of us that covered it myself kevo raven and Rod couldn't wait to talk about it. Now, we had an amazing time discussing this unique sort of cinematic take on America Chavez and her place in the Marvel Universe, and we hope you guys enjoy as much as we enjoyed making it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi, I'm Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, and you can find me over on Twitter mostly. Come on over, say hello, I'd love to talk to you. Hi, and I'm Rod. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram on Rod, the, that's R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. And this is Kevo from Husbands Talking More or Less on Cage Club Network, and you can find me at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And we are here today to talk about, you know, like, so hold on, back up a second. So like, I'm that kind of gay from the right space and time location to be like, weirdly obsessed with sex in the city, right? And like the city, no, don't I mean, yeah, laugh at me. It's totally acceptable. Oh, yeah. No, I will mock you <laughs> out sure? loud to your oh, face. I have the special edition box set where the, oh, her, no. her columns represent the city skyline. It's amazing. So a thousand percent that gay. And but I drew the line at Carrie Diaries. So <laughs> I'm bringing all this up because even though I love Freeman Adjaman, darling. So I bring all of this up <laughs> because America Chavez is the the fifth girl here today with us, right? Oh, like the city is the fifth girl in Sex in the City. Exactly. All of that. Uh, all of that was for that. Or like Rosario for Will and Grace, or like. Uh, things love fifth hangers on. Hey, honey, what are we doing here? What's going on? Like, <laughs> here, go ahead. Slap yourself. I'm tired. <laughs> or like Coco the Fancy Man on Golden Girls. Coco the Fancy Man and the pilot of Golden Girls. So this was a really big fucked roundabout way to say that we're here to talk about America Chavez made in the USA number one by the amazing team of Kalinda Vasquez on writing, Carlos Gomez as the line artist, we have Jesus Abertov as the color artist, and VC provided Travis Lanham on letters. Now, there were way too many amazing covers to mention here, but I do want to 
want to mention a number of the women who contributed covers, including Sarah Pacelli, Stephanie Hans, and Tamara Bonvillon, right? And it would be impossible to talk about the incredible initiative that's brought about so many strong, powerful women of color at Marvel without paying homage to one of the most important people in comics, Sanaa Aminat, who has been leading this breathtaking charge on this new generation of characters, whether it's her belief in Miles Morales or her involvement in the creation and development of Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel. Not enough can be said about the real incredible women of color behind the scenes on these comics. And it would just be silly to stand here and talk about these incredible fictional characters without giving it up for some of the real ones too. So all that said, talk to me about the fictional ones. America. Who here had experience with America? Who here didn't recognize America? I know for four years I didn't recognize America. So I want to know a little bit more about your guys' experience with the great Miss C. Uh, uh, Miss C? America Chavez. (laughs) Okay, that makes slightly more sense. What? Because, boy, you were talking fast and going off on tangents more than I do. That was impressive. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I'm like an American highway. You really are. You were like, we're the 405 and the 55 and the 91. She's from LA. Yes, I am. Yes, I freaking am. Oh, Oh, so you loved the bit about traffic in California then. (laughs) Yes, because I'm like, I know that freeway. She's right. (laughs) I I loved the Californians reference. I love any uh, pop culture crap that they can throw at me. That Green Ranger reference was for me in this issue, guys. That was amazing. That was hilarious. Oh my God. Yeah. So I I know a little bit um, about America. I had picked up a couple of comics um, from her just a couple of years ago because I found out that the creator was queer, person of color. And yeah, it was just, it was so amazing. And I, I got a taste for it. And then just, I couldn't find it anywhere. And I'm like, why, why, why aren't they carrying the book? Why aren't they keeping this in stock? Like trying to hunt down copies was damn near impossible. Cause I like having a physical copy that I can like page through and whatnot. So when I heard that they were bringing out um, a new solo title, I was all over it. Like I, I pounced, I squealed, I fangirled. Yeah. Just, mm. yes. I mean, your your extreme excitement was one of the reasons I knew we had to cover this. You know, it's so barely mutant tangential, right? <laughs> I kind of put it in that, well, it goes with Young Avengers by Kieran Gillen. And you can kind of pretend that if you, okay, hear me out. If you think of Journey into Mystery by Kieran Gillen as an extension X book, thanks to the new Mutants crossover and the Captain Britain crossover, then you can, by extension, make Young Avengers its spiritual successor. So this is basically an X book. Well, it's it's good to like, you know, kind of step outside of the X books sometimes and, and pick up some of the books that are also really popular and have a decent chance of having crossovers. So that's the way I kind of look at it. Oh, oh and a thousand percent. Now, Rod, I know that you are like... You are some sort of like Marvel super librarian. Between you and Juan, you guys read like everything that there is to read. And I I thought of you today. I love the fact that Marvel is putting books on Marvel Unlimited after three months now because King and Black number one just hit Unlimited at the time of recording this, which means fans get to like jump into this event before it ends. And hopefully they hear some of our coverage, which has actually led people to reading the books. So, you know, you read pretty much everything Marvel. Had you had a lot of experience 
experience with America before this? Were you like a longtime fan of hers or were you a little bit more giving her a try with this? First, I want to say that I appreciate that Nico will go to the ends of the earth to make sure everything connects, even if it doesn't. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, and first, I love America Chavez. I, I've read everything I believe that she's been in. I didn't read her first appearance, which was in something that I don't remember, but it was like a journey into mystery type of book. But I read the first Young Avengers that she was in, the Karen Gillian version, and then I read the Ultimates, and I read the little Secret Wars A-Force that she was in. Not the main one, just the Secret Wars uh, tie-in, because she wasn't in the main one. And then I read the unfortunate solo that wasn't the best, but it was enjoyable. And then I was super excited for this solo, because I was like, yes! Where has America Chavez been since the Ultimates and Ultimates 2? Like, we need more of her. She's a powerful being. She's a powerful woman. And, like, she's not just, like, another white woman. So, like, we need more of her. We need more representation of her. And, like, she can teleport anywhere. So she can Mm -hmm. be, like, mother freaking Wolverine and be in every story. Why not? (laughs) She pulls from the Unk Force, which is the Un-Karen Force. And... (laughs) I think it's important to keep that in mind. Uh, And, you know, I want to point out, you're saying that, you know, you can't really place some of her earlier work. It's because one of her earliest appearances isn't just unfortunately easily forgotten, but rather it's sort of unknown. She first appeared in a Marvel title called Vengeance. Now, Vengeance ran from September 2011 until February 2012, and the title was written by Joe Casey and penciled by one of my all-time favorites, Nick Dragota. Now, I make sure to buy everything Nick Dragota. That's a big thing for me. So I had collected this miniseries at the time it came out, discovered this amazing character within. And when we started X's for podcast about two and a half years ago, you could still pick up copies of Vengeance number one for about $2. Now it goes for $1,200. So it's a pretty wild transformation on a book. So it's the six issue miniseries about fighting some pretty classic villains. It's got these beautifully stylized covers. It didn't really fit into canon quite right. The next time you see her in a big way, she's appearing in the pages of Marvel Now.1 before making her way into the brilliant but short-lived Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey Young Avengers. And then she kind of started bouncing around the Marvel Universe. Now, Kevi, I think this is your first experience with reading America, but I know you also know some things about her upcoming appearances or at least projected appearances in the Marvel Universe cinematically. Yes, I know that she is already confirmed cast and filming for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And given a lot of the things that they are setting up post WandaVision and with Loki coming out next month, I am I, I feel pretty confident saying they have some cool things in store for this character. So I thought it might be a good time for me to get to know her. I didn't I, I, I knew literally nothing about the character before this week other than basically her name and her appearance and kind of what some of her powers were. But even then, not entirely. I didn't know anything about her backstory. And I think a lot of this existed to create a backstory and develop a backstory, create new context for it, because that's one of those amazing things. You can sometimes tell when a character is designed to be successful, like Kamala Khan or Miles Morales. To break the color barrier is such a difficult thing in mainstream comics that it actually really does take the support of the entire corporation to put the money to get, unfortunately, white people to read these characters of color. 
And when a character slowly evolves to that point, it's a little bit less clean. And what I mean by less clean, they usually didn't, they didn't usually have like a very obvious path that led them to where they were going to be with a perfectly cultivated backstory featuring exactly the right pieces to translate beautifully to film. It's a much harder thing to have a character incidentally happen in a beautiful way. I think one of the things that was a lot of fun about this miniseries is America has always had pieces of her story in place, but this was the first time that I feel like I saw a view of her backstory as challenging as her character. How did you guys feel about the overall tone, this almost CW noir product? I, I personally loved it. I thought this was exactly the right tone to get young readers in. Not that I'm projecting that all people who might want to read a strong young woman would identify with all strong young women characters, but this had a lot of like Veronica Mars vibes for me. I really liked what I read. Oh yeah, yeah I mean, I really enjoyed it. I do want to say first before we get into that, I can't believe I was crazy enough to forget that she's also been in West Coast Avengers and that's what a lot of this solo pulls from at least in the beginning with Kate Bishop mm -hmm. and her girlfriend at the moment. Oh, mm -hmm. the fabulous Kate Bishop and I really appreciated Ramon. Mm -hmm. They were such a dynamic new character for me. West Coast Avengers is one of the last things I have to read. It's that and the Christina Strain Gen X that are like the last two things I have to get through in my backlog. So, Rod, had you had a lot of experience with that West Coast Avengers run? Oh, yes. I got it when I first... I mean, I love Kelly Thomas. Um, that was when something just finished that I loved of hers. And I, and then this a book got announced. And we was like, Quint Choir and Kate Bishop and America. We haven't seen America in forever. I mean, well, since then, ultimate, so not super forever. But it was all these people. And it was the it was Kate's boyfriend, the mutant that can, like, touch things and, like, turn his skin into different things. And then we mm -hmm. got his sister there too so all these characters that kate i mean that kelly thompson has introduced and that we're seeing again and i was like yes oh and uh gwenpool so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the amazing really gwenpool and yes and i got every single issue um one through 12 i believe and i was super upset when it got canceled a lot of people were because and a lot of people didn't even discover it until after it got canceled but yeah mm -hmm. it was actually supposed to go longer but no one was reading it so marvel canned it so what a she-hulk thing to happen <laughs> right what she-hulk right? thing to happen but I think Nico, you're super gonna love it because it's really it's it's based yeah it's the West Coast Avengers like it's very campy but it also mm -hmm. has like a good story to it. It definitely expands all the characters you know backstories a little bit and it's really it's it's a really good book. Yeah, I I thought it was like I liked the way it read and it was like it was like the transition stage between young adult and you know adult material. So yes, there was a little bit of grit, but there was also a whole lot of like fun and camp and you know. It got you laughing. It got you kind of invested with how very human she is um, in the way she feels emotions and everything that's going on in giving you that backstory, which could have been just really, really rough and heartbreaking and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think I think they played well between fun and grit because it could have gone very dark and stayed there for a long time. But no, they played between the two. And I, I, I felt I thought it was a good balance and it really drew me in. I had some fun with it. It's like a polished juvenilia with burgeoning adulthood. There mm -hmm. was this sense of it knew it had to be a little bit 
more adult. Like it knew it had yeah. to step the game up. And I do feel like this stepped the game up on America. In mm-hmm. some ways, this kind of like, I don't want to say generic superheroified her, but <laughs> it put her more in a category of leading figure in a superhero comic. Now, mm-hmm. I actually didn't think this was gendered in any way. When I no. think about classic superhero tropes, I think of parentage problems traditionally being male in nature Mm -hmm. so in that way i love that this red coated male Mm -hmm. and by having a non-binary love interest it doesn't technically lock the idea into any sort of binary then regardless you have a main character who is female but is reading coded male with a non-binary love interest so i'm not concerned about any sort of unfortunate misogyny creeping its way in now raven Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know that you don't just read books for technical aspects and technical merit, such as pacing and storytelling, but you focus in on a crafted message. How yes. did you feel about the feminism or gender definitions of America as an issue? I think it was honestly really rather great that they didn't lean heavily into making this a gender issue. And instead they focused on the personal issues. It was great that they had a female and non-binary cast front and center um, for pretty much the entire thing without having to insert, uh, you know, male types or masculine types in there because quite often that can muddle a message because you end up being routed towards, well, what does the male presenting person in a story think about this and instead it was just it was very nuanced and it was less about gender and so much more about that personal issue what does family mean and and you know what kind of what kind of problems can you run into it just you know existing and growing up and you know you've got powers your family doesn't but you know you were you were tossed from your home dimension you're lost and alone and you know somebody finds you and and basically saves you and brings Brings you up in this very strong and wonderful way but you know of course there's been apparently some some rough spots so yeah it was i love a good message i like when nuance is used and when a story is really told that has nuance to each character so getting to see this i'm like oh they did this really well without going well she's going to do this when she grows up because she's a woman or well she can do anything because she's a strong woman it was just it was a human story and they did it well the boobs define the thing (laughs) (laughs) right right but yeah no it was it was good that they avoided so many of those pitfalls that so many other comic books have just tripped headlong into they they did the story and they did it really well and i loved it i just realized the only white male that speaks the entire issue i think is spider-man and that's Mm -hmm. only if you know that spider-man is a white male because you Mm -hmm. don't even see his face exactly that is true rod i know that when you read comics you also read them with a very watchful eye and one of the things that i love the most is that you, in reading so many books, kind of follow the characters pretty uh, pretty wide across the berth of the Marvel Universe. And I wanted to know, how do you feel this fits in to the current sort of Rebirth of the Eternals, X-Men are going to space and sword, King in Black Marvel Universe? How do you feel about this positioning of America as not just a street-level character alongside someone like Kate Bishop, but a character who would have a Spider-Man cameo how does that fit with your interpretation of both her and her position in the marvel universe well i hope it makes her position in the marvel universe bigger because i think it should be i i I love her being like a street 
Street Hero with the West Coast Avengers. That's nice and good. But to be honest, when I first saw that, I was like, why is she there? <laughs> because she's so much more powerful than all of them. Like, I guess maybe not Clint Wire because he's an Omega, but he's also kind of like... He dies Omega. every issue. And don't let him hear that you think that. He's like my favorite. Right. And don't let yeah. him hear that you think that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's also kind of like an idiot and aloof. So, you know, like, like that's why he fits there. But America, she fits there because she's not, she's very confident. And, but she's also not super sure of herself. And she still always is trying to find herself in a way. And I feel like we see this in his comic book. And I feel like with this five issue run, we're going to see, especially since we're getting the backstory of, you know, her adoptive family and all of this, we're going to see her really, you know, find who, what kind of person and what kind of hero she truly is uh, mm-hmm. what she thinks of herself in that kind of way so given probably the outcome of this this five issue run hopefully people really enjoy it and she becomes bigger in the marvel universe like we should see her yeah. in events like king and black and empire and all of that because look at her mm-hmm. power level but where is she it's because people either don't know what to do with her or they forget about her and mm-hmm. you know so hopefully with you know like the spider-man cameo and all of this and all this all this attention that she'll hopefully get and all this growth that she'll probably get mm-hmm. hopefully more people will use her and she'll be one of the forefronters yeah absolutely and you know that is such an important way to look at what this miniseries can do when i think about some of the most recent attempts to catapult a character to the next level there really has been a strong focus on characters of color like amadeus cho and and shuri who went from supporting characters to gaining their own titles now one of the dangerous things things here is America is in so many ways formally not a supporting character so much as intentionally an enigma she was kept purposefully mysterious here we see her juxtaposed with her family in danger ultimately the conclusion of this issue is her adoptive family are at risk by virtue of some part of her own past kevil i know you're new to america as a character and to her place in the marvel universe but to juxtapose this sort of like hey i punch holes in realities thing against the mundanity of her very mortal family being in peril Did that dichotomy play out for you? And in sort of a larger sense, how does that prepare you for her inevitable conclusion in Doctor Strange and the multiverse of moving the multiverse forward? Um, probably not as hugely well as it would have if I had a better grasp on what her powers fully do. I think that was probably the real only real shortcoming this issue had for me as someone who doesn't know the character very well. I didn't feel that dichotomy as strongly yet because I haven't seen the full extent of her powers. Um, did we know about this adopted family before now? I know we know about the two moms. Like, that's one of the things I read about. But did we know about the these people who found her and raised her or is this new does anyone know it's new it's new okay okay and that's what i thought um so like that's definitely really exciting for me as a new reader to be able to feel like there are still new things that we can find out about this character it makes it it makes me feel like part of that audience that already loves the character uh i'm curious to see whether or not any part of this arc or this character story is going to influence whatever we're going to get in multiverse of madness who knows or is it perhaps reverse synergy and is this meant to reflect something that we're ultimately going to get in multiverse of madness but cut you know beat it to the chase get it in the comic 
comics first, which mm-hmm. they love to do. So <laughs> they sure do. But this would be so tight, I feel, only a year before the movie comes out. I mean, sometimes they do things like make Wanda and Pietro not mutants after they're not mutants already. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> Don't even start with that. They're enhanced. It's Some gonna my it, ever loving it, it, dick. It's, it's gonna get fixed, y'all. We have to keep hope. It's gonna get fixed. I, you know what? I just <laughs> want like what I want is impossible, but I want them both to show up on Krakoa and be like, guys, look, we need your respect. We want to play in the cool house. Crucible us. We'll even do it against each other or against the weird other incestuous siblings. Hi, Fenris. <laughs> nice to see you from the meetings, and we're ready to crucible for your approval. That's what I want well would they need the crucible or would they just need to be like wanda like undo your little magic spelly spell thing on us oh no at this point she would have to crucible she has to crucible i honestly think she needs to be stabbed to death over and over again in front of everybody like i don't think she has a way out of it she is the great pretender and like Mm -hmm. she's my favorite and i sobbed every minute of wandavision but like i don't see after everything they did with her in x-men empire look at all the zombies I don't see how <laughs> they can just like, but never mind the zombies or none of the mutants anymore. I have mm-hmm. my babies. Like, she kind of got pretty much everything she wanted. She even gets to still be an Avenger, and the mutants got treated badly for 15 years, so they didn't make out on the deal. Yeah. See, that's why I thought something was going to happen. Like, she's going to get a, like a five issue mini, like America is getting right now before the show. But since that didn't happen, because, you know, Marvel usually like synergy and all that stuff, that didn't happen, y'all. That didn't happen. They wouldn't not want to make money. So I'm thinking it's because they have, they told Hickman to make a plan for her that's why she keeps getting mentioned so i think like the, the crucible thing might happen but i also think some kind of spell is going to happen like a big 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 thing that she's gonna make all the mutants that didn't you know that have that didn't get their powers back already get their powers back and maybe bring some other mutants back to life that were on genosha something of that degree something huge is gonna happen because there's no reason why marvel wouldn't put out like some kind of synergy book with wandavision coming out for a while I think they're going to use Krakoa to undo it. I think they're going to be like, look how much magical mutant energy we have saved up in this giant hunk of rock that waves high sometimes. <laughs> oh, and instead of having to kill ours, we can kill that other one filled with all the freaks from the other dimension. Oh, good. So I think, I mean, I don't trust Xavier as far as I could kick him down a flight of stairs in a ranch style house. So I mean, it's true. Back to America for a moment. Um, (laughs) I actually wanted to comment on the art for a moment because something I thought that was incredible is I've never had the pleasure of reading a Carlos Gomez book before, but there is something so incredibly dexterous about his lines His line variance is really tremendous, and you can see an incredible intentional change in style, whether it's in the present or it's in the past. There's a delicate line work to his figures and his people, and yet there is a heaviness and a depth to the shadow work as it plays against the bodies. 
in the nighttime urbanized settings with the harsh lights coming off of the street lamps echoed in the inks themselves before you even get to the color art. And there was just something spectacular about the fact that both she and Peter have roughly the same body. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but I do think of her as that big and powerful. She's as big and powerful as a 30-year-old scientist. <laughs> Peter Parker is built like a muscular Latina. I see. Yes. <laughs> there you go. He doesn't, his thighs aren't as big, but you know. Right? No, uh, like, he could never walk up four sets of stairs. Peter, leg day. Don't skip it. Don't skip it. Um, but I actually, I have to agree with you on that. That's one of the things I was thinking about when y'all said about how you like how this book wasn't focused on one gender or the other. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really shows in the art. Like it's not like her other solo was a little bit more childlike with the art and it was a little bit more like cutesy girly and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that kind of art I love that art but this art was wasn't made towards you know just young girls or women mm-hmm. in general it was and it wasn't made towards like boys or men either it wasn't like mm-hmm. super like hardcore or just super you know like soft and girly or whatever the, male gaze the, yeah the, yeah the male gaze either it was like um like a comic like a comic book show like a movie it this looks like a movie to me all this art and it's like very like she is strong she is sensitive she's a she's a person and she's a superhero and you get to see her in all her glory and she's colored correctly thank and you she is actually drawn like a woman of color and her like and the line work and everything and the hair is gorgeous mm-hmm. and she has curves and I- eyebrows <laughs> Like, <laughs> they aren't just these weird fucking Pokemon triangles that come oh, up off your fucking face. Yes. Oh. And, it, and it shows you can also be fit and still have curves. Thank you, artist. <laughs> and, she, and she had hair. She had hair that wasn't stick straight. Like, it had that gorgeous texture that you usually see Latina women with. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I, oh. I, I loved, I loved this artwork because I actually had to go back and check to see if they had more than one artist on the book because while the styles were similar they were so different i was like oh did they did they have two artists that were working in tent oh no this is all one person but yeah the the art changes just a little bit depending on whether you're in present day whether it's a more campy kind of scene or if it's a little bit darker like you're remembering something that was uh, mildly traumatic from your past he did such a good job on this just beautifully done Now, Kevo, I know you tend to be like a little partial to colors as a colorist, and I think the colors helped tell the story here. The colors took a powerful sense of contrast and created a through line with the contrast of light. It's almost like a neon chiascuro, like in a really weird way that I I thought really worked for the story. How did you feel the color story played out through the issue? Pretty. <laughs> Ow. It's <laughs> <more> pretty. <laughs> I'm not that kind of artist. I'm so sorry. I don't. Wow. We're all just sitting in a pile of garbage. <laughs> I just, I, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, you could go. Say you finish your thought. No, I was done. I was done. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm pretty sure uh, he did. I, I'll say what I wanted to say oh. earlier. I do. <laughs> Hold I'm on. so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so all right <clears throat> anyway 
I will say I love that because this problem has been seen um, in other comics as well. I can't think of what. We don't need to call anyone out anyway. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I love that there are multiple women in this scene. And there's like, you know, her adoptive mother in this scene and, and her as a young girl, all this, all that. And all of them are drawn different. They, none of them look the same or carbon copies of each other. They all have their own way of their body, their own style, their own like face shape. It's I, That's really refreshing that they just didn't just like oh well, this is a girl this is a this is another fit girl this is another like skinny fit girl i'll just you know draw them all the same and it's fine it's it, they'll all be the same it's fine it looks good like, yeah and i think our eyes pick up on that our eyes notice when everybody is drawn to look the same because that doesn't look like life it's in that same way that if you ever saw a person with a truly symmetrical face you'd throw up because it would be hideous human beings are naturally asymmetrical it's what we do and without that sort of beautiful perfect natural asymmetry a crowd sequence never comes to life heroes never come off the page because it has this unnatural one dimension it winds up looking like like too many comics wind up looking like looking into an la fitness and (laughs) that's not my superhero Mm -hmm. narrative right and you know we're one out of five issues into this and i feel like what i got here was the start of something exciting How do you guys feel about this issue and what are you looking forward to from the next issue? Wow, that's a lot. That, that there's there's so much like there's so much you could actually say about that. Um, I liked it because it it went from like you know really drawing you in because it had you kind of laughing and you know some good quips and and one shots and some beautiful camp going on to also you know addressing some you know like past trauma and and past history with the family, but not uh oh my god my family was terrible to me and I have to go back and face my abusers. It was just a yeah we had some rough patches and and you know they took me in and they really raised me as their own but you know just there's there's been some stuff that's gone on and like it humanized this amazingly powerful woman to being more than just a superhero she was also a person who deals with like a lot of anxiety and who deals with um you know a lot of trauma and and other things going on so i can't wait to see more of this because i really do want to get into the emotional side of america and how she deals with, you know, just little bits of her past, losing touch with people, how she's going to deal with a villain who is, you know, might be targeting people in her life, that kind of thing. So yeah, I can't wait to see more, especially since it's coming from a non-male gaze. So Rod, what are you looking for from this series? I know you spoke a bit about what you're hoping this does for America, but are you hoping maybe for a character or a story element? Uh, I mean, yeah. We already saw Kate Bishop, you know? And if we see Kate Bishop again, cool, because they are best friends. But I would like to see more. Like, like maybe we see Wiccan and Hulkling. We haven't seen them interact in a while. Because um, mm-hmm. they can teleport. I mean, they have magic. I mean, he Wiccan has magic. They can go to her. They don't have to stay in space the whole time. And um, I've heard <laughs> Billy might be connected to some people with some impressive technology or something. I don't know. What? I mean, I guess. I don't know. Like, is he? I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I want to see her. I, I was so impressed by this first issue. I love seeing America kiss, kick ass and do all the superhero shit. And I want to see more of that. Like I've been missing her so much because I love this character. I love mm-hmm. this, her aesthetic and everything. So I'm excited to see more of that. Ready to see more cameos. Because I feel like with a five issue arc of a story, you can just, especially if it's just about the character growth for the most part and building up.
up that character arc, like overall story for this character, you can do random cameos. And it's so mm-hmm. fun. And I feel like that's the funnest part about doing a five issue art story. So I want to see more of that. And I'm super excited to see who this villain is too. Like she are they, we don't know if he or she, they they knew America, I guess, when they were a child or something to that degree. Like I I'm and now they're like powered, I'm assuming, and super villainous and all that. I am super intrigued by that. Like, is are they part of the are you know her her mother's dimension? Her two mothers are are they part of that? They follow her here. Is it like are did they develop the are they from planet Earth and they just started not liking her because of how they treated her in the past? I I am so excited to see all of this story and her mm-hmm. to actually get like an arch nemesis. That is really cool. It's Iggy Azalea. Her arch nemesis is Iggy Azalea. <laughs> <laughs> and America Chavez just needs to punch her a few times. <laughs> that wouldn't be exciting. She would punch her out of one panel and then we'd be done. GG bye. So so Kevo, here we are at the end of your first issue of America Chavez. She's been around a decade now, and here she is poised to be one of the next big voices in the Marvel Universe, cinematic and comic. You've even said you feel like you're jumping in on something exciting and new with her. What are you looking for from this series as it continues? To get to know the character better, mostly, I think. I definitely agree with what Rod said about hoping for more cameos. It was nice seeing Kate Bishop. I'd love to see more characters. One of the things that I really get about the beauty and allure of writing for the Marvel Universe is the fact that there is such a wealth of canon to draw from. They were able to say in this issue, oh, we're going to go check out that Hydra base. And they did not explain at all what Hydra is, but you already know (laughs) what Hydra is. And it's really cool that they have the ability to do that. If they say something that you don't understand, you can either wait and see if they'll explain it, or we live in such a day and age where you can look it up anywhere online. Mm -hmm. So I am excited to get to know America a little bit better along with everyone else and to see what could translate from this character into the cinematic universe, especially because I think the actor who's playing her is like around 16 or so so i don't know how dramatically different that will make her from this america i love everything you just said and speaking of things that i wonder if they're gonna pull from canon and we just mentioned billy but do you guys remember that time billy's nana had him in a dungeon and had him in a bondage collar (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was fun that happened i just it flashed into my head i'm like yeah i yeah right that time his nana had him in a bondage collar Um, i was i was actually gonna say speaking of cameos i feel like we probably won't get billy and teddy just because i think we're gonna see more street level heroes but what mm -hmm. if we get like like nico you'll probably be excited for that we'll get like daredevil before he you know he went to prison and stuff that's the storyline now um and i would i would much rather get the current daredevil i think Mm -hmm. if america met electra that would be Oh, yeah. That would be yes. gorgeous. I would much rather her meet the current Daredevil. Yeah. And that's just one of those that's one of those things, the potentiality. Now that the Marvel Universe isn't relegating women to backup status, mm-hmm. the idea that we get to celebrate two female heroes in one setting almost seems counterintuitive because it seems like that's something comics would never let happen. Like, oh, so it's going to wind up being the Enchantress versus Dazzler again, where it's about who's prettier. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. But oh, <laughs> I think we're finally at a point where if we saw Derelict, meet 
America, I feel like we would just we would just stand up and be that gif of Meryl Streep and <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we would just cheer on the value of redefining the scope of superhero comics as more than just the heteronormative white cis male experience. And yeah, you know, cameos. I demand them. Cameos. <laughs> oh. Oh, I just like I just thought of something. If since she's losing her powers, you know, we we touch on that throughout the issue. Who would she go to? Speaking of cameos, who would she go to, to try to find that out? She'd probably try to go to Reed Richards, right? I think she right. would go to Doctor Strange to yeah poison oh, M for the, the film. Oh yeah, because because she's magic and stuff. Yeah, Doctor Strange makes sense, and he's a doctor. That's true. But I really do see the value of Reed Richards as a guy who knows the multiverse, and he's a oh, doctor. but he's too much of a dick. <laughs> Well, you kind of forget that he's, I mean, his name is Dr. Strange, but nobody his, his... forgets that he's a doctor. He okay. always I points it out. Like, oh, I never I think Pete okay. Doctor is a doctor. Okay. You know what, Raven? Don't erase me. I, t- I forgot. All right. <laughs> My dear, what was he just doing in Strange Academy like an issue ago? Know. Oh, that's right. He was doing magical surgery on a child. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, that's so long ago. I don't, I can't. Oh. Read right now. Call me doctor. Right call me doctor, you librarian. I'm sorry. Who did you just call me? What? Like, yeah, no. Nobody forgets that he's a doctor because he never shuts up about being a doctor, Mister Doctor. <sighs> I'm sorry for unleashing your rage. <laughs> well, he's a dick, so <laughs> he riles me. He riles me. But no, no, I, I could absolutely see her going to like Doctor Strange for those issues and not Reed Richards because Reed Richards deals with more of the science side of it and science might not quite match up to what she is. So yeah, I could see her going to either Strange or possibly even um, talking with um, somebody over on the mutant side or with Sword. What if she goes to Blue Marvel because they used to be on a team together? And I know he's science mm. too, all right? I know he's science too but, yeah, but he's yeah. yeah no he's he's adam the blue marvel i yeah, he can do anything yeah so and we need more of him in comic books so any cameo is a good cameo for him <laughs> when you said blue at first i was like the blue man group oh for sake. what if she goes to see the blue man group that sounds like a fun one shot but i don't think it's gonna help hey don't you know that they're mystics in their own right my god <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my Blue Man Group impression right now. (laughs) (laughs) Quick, somebody get the jello and glitter. Is this a Kesha concert? Hey everybody, Nico here one more time. And this next segment sees Josh, Drew, and Arturo sort of excitedly fan-shouting at one another. There's something about Hellions that, as a title, brings out an excited, almost manic energy in the X-Men and our fan reactions. Because it's so special when a writer is willing to take characters that have been either underutilized or maybe underappreciated fan favorites for a long time and steps them forward. Now that's the kind of thing we were just saying is going on for America Chavez in the last segment. But this crew... 
crew, these Hellions, Psylocke, and Grey Crow, Nanny, these characters have been around for much longer, and seeing this sort of unique revitalization of them all juxtaposed against, in this case, this intense layering of villains like Mastermind, Mr. Sinister, and Arcade, who is one of my all-time favorite villains for the X-Men, so I will say he is some people's favorite villains, guys. Now, as always, we love making this show for you guys, so if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So check us out over on Twitter and YouTube at X's for Podcast, and don't forget to check out our Patreon, where you can even help decide some of what we cover and the fate of the show going forward. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, guys, enjoy this last segment, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we'll see ya. Welcome back to X's for Podcast. Today we're going to talk about Hellions number 10, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Steven Segovia, colors by David Curiel, and letters by our close personal friend, VC's Ariana Mar. The Hellions are trapped in a mastermind-fortified version of Murder World, while Arcade tortures Sinister into building him a clone farm of his very own. And with me today is... I'm Drew. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Drewsifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Josh Wheel. You can find me, as always, at Asleep at the Wheel, W-E-I-L, on Twitter and at Asleep at the Wheel. And for the next two years as a Democrat running for U.S. Senate in the state of Florida, you can also find me at wheel for us Senate, W-E-I-L, the number four U.S. Senate across all social media and wheel for us Senate.org. But today I'm just hanging out in my dream world, me and my brother's ex-wife who's got me on a leash. Yeah, that's all. Hellions, Hellions, <laughs> where? I don't know. I, I knew how I wanted to start that. I didn't know how I wanted to end it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> hellions you know where dreams turn into nightmares that might actually be the dreams so last issue yeah i'm i'm a hundred percent not convinced that alex's dream ever turned into a nightmare by the way i think that that's exactly how that role playing was going all along yep. but we can start at the beginning so last issue ended uh with sinister captured by arcade and mastermind and the hellions being manipulated into a rescue mission also trapped in murder now, before we start, I, uh, first thing I noticed from this issue that brings me so much joy is the cover of Hellions 10 has a motherfucking corner box. Yes. I was going to say that too. I love corner boxes. I love me corner too. boxes. I wish they would bring them back so bad. I, I am going to get, uh, I have a spot reserved and sized out already amidst other tattoos for a Fantastic Four corner box. Um, and it would have had it by now did we if we did not live in uh, a global pandemic. I think, though, that one of the reasons why they probably stopped doing that is it does cover up the art, like the cover art that they pay money for. You know what I mean? So it's you're covering it up with pretty much useless information now. Useless? No, you put the the number of the issue there. I hated when when we changed gears and like moved away from that. It was like, why? Why make it so hard? They put so much useless shit on covers anyway. Yeah, I love corner boxes. Yeah, corner boxes. Um, I'm just saying, though, that now they do that 
that in like a, a a way that shows the cover more and less like blocks the art. Guys, I don't even think I saw that there's a second corner box on the bottom right with Sinister's face. Yes, the old yes. school where the barcode you I know. <laughs> That's what I was like. Yes. yes. I love it. Double corner box. Double corner box. The only thing I know this is this is like a tribute to um to Uncanny. Um like it's the same cover with different people on it. Um but like the only thing that would have made this cover a lot like 100 percent better is if it had like words on it like you know oh speech bubbles yeah i or love like, speech bubble covers speech bubble covers are great i'm gonna get i'm gonna disagree um, on that i'm gonna be the the dissenting <gasps> the dissenting opinion it's funny when it's done well like excalibur did that a couple of times old school excalibur that i thought was cool old school excalibur did that a lot yeah, yeah. I, or even just like the um the like find out what happens in this issue you know or like those oh that kind of, yeah that i love yeah. the chilling adventures of or whatever you know like, uh-huh. or like if, if you find only out inside. read one x comic this month it has to be this <laughs> yeah there's I, I i like some of the old school things i mean we get so many variants now there's no reason why we can't have this like there's no reason why you can't put a corner box on your a cover and then you know for all of those beautiful full page splash or close-up variants just have nothing like mm-hmm. just leave it wide open that's exactly um, what blake needs is more reasons to buy more variants i mean that's what dc does with their a and b covers to be honest like the b covers are almost always like joelle jones or art germ or someone who does these like beautiful um just like these these beautiful close-ups or paintings and um and they have just the most minimal text of like you know it'll say like wonder woman 78 that's it like and then but your a cover is your normal one that has like your dc logo and your series logo and your corner info and the creative like it has all the other stuff on it all the the normal rigmarole so let's get into it (laughs) let's get into it all right, so we, we get to start here with Arcade interrogating Sinister, running his hand through the hair that's just as greasy as it looks. Um, Sinister sitting in the murder chair, because everything is prefaced with the word murder in Murder World. You gotta love it. Of course. And he starts talking to the Confirm as well, pissing Arcade off. <laughs> um, Sinister and Arcade fucking with each other, like, could just be its own series. Well, and because the, they are, like, pretty, like, they have, like, a similar personality, so it's just them like joking on each other i just love that sinister attacked him for having veneers (laughs) clearly veneers yes like that's just like Mm. the level of petty and just sinister is like a sassy british drag queen like petty level of like talking shit about people all of that arcade is like your um gamer geek fucking hostile male taking his aggression out on everyone teasing and taunting and bullying from like the comfort of his mom's basement so they're they're similar because they both just want to shit talk each other in perpetuity yeah like they're they're not the same so much so much love this this was a very very enjoyable comic for me um yeah i mean this hellions just keeps they've they've set a really good pace and now they just don't disappoint issue after issue like i love a lot of the x books but hellions is the one that gets me so hyped and uh and and it just it has not disappointed not even a little bit uh it just keeps 
this being a nice surprise and a really nice examination of these characters. Um, you know, let's uh, let's talk about Murder World and and the difference of it now being po- powered by Mastermind. Yeah, the the Mastermind Murder World, which is kind of the next phase of this issue story, is gives us really great and quick kind of depth into the psyche of our team. Um, done very well. The the beautiful art complements it. Uh, Segovia and Curiel did a fantastic job. But going to your pacing comment real quick, Drew and I were having a conversation about pacing in the green room. And for me, the pacing was a big part of my enjoyment of this story because I spent many, many years clamoring for more one and two part stories. After, you know, two decades of every story, no matter how much story there was to it, being crammed into six issues for a trade. So if it was a one parter, it was stretched to six. If it should have been a two parter, it was stretched to six. If it should have been eight issues, it was crammed in and resolved hastily to be six. So it fits in one trade. Like it felt like everything got that treatment. And I missed a lot of the great one and two parters, kind of the more natural, you know, pre trade, everything gets traded world, the more natural length of stories where they were however many issues the writer felt they needed. And now we've been getting a lot of one and two parters lately. They've left me wanting more. I read a handful of two parters over the last couple weeks. And by the end of them, I just felt like the one issue in one issue out just kind of quick up down. I I wanted more story for some of them, especially the better ones. Like I wanted it to be fleshed out more and to, to go longer. And so I really love that pacing of this story feels very satisfying and natural that we're in issue two and we're still kind of building up with hints at, you know, potential escalation or resolve, um, you know, potential twist could still extend it more like it's going at a good natural pace that we haven't really gotten a lot of in these X line of stories. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say is I think that this book is probably one of the better paced books of the, the line, like just because every single arc is clearly defined and well put out. So like we had like the Madeline storyline at the beginning and then the even the X of Swords storyline, although it was kind of like a it, it was a tie into an event, it still was its own succinct storyline. You know, it had a beginning, middle and end and then it went off into the next issue without forgetting what happened previously before it went into like uh, it went into like this stuff. So it has like a seamless, you know, narrative throughout the whole entire series, but also in each kind of little story arc. One thing I liked about the pacing here is that going into each individual character's headset, we're building off of some of the stories that we've already kind of seen, whether that's Kanon and her daughter from the pages of Fallen Angels or Grey Crow's guilt over killing the, the Morlocks. We're getting like a peek behind how these these characters function. I mean, it's probably the most interesting one, as Josh already alluded to, is uh, is Alex Summer fantasizing about his life with Matt. Madeline Pryor and and how happy they could have been. I think that was just such a neat trick on the on Zebwells' part of telling us more about these characters that we're all growing to love. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. I'm always happy when we get moments, well written moments that call back to Fallen Angels, because then it makes that story retroactively feel like less of a waste for me. Yep. Um, if someone else picks it up and does something good with the pieces afterward, and you know, Zeb has definitely been on that uh, with some of his Psylocke backstory. But as soon as it started, and it was like, oh my god, we're getting her at peace with her daughter. Like this is going to be fucking crushing when she has to give that up. Um, 
just kind of had that immediate visceral emotional reaction to it like oh no like this there's no way this ends well for her not only that but we haven't really seen anything with her daughter since the first issue when of hellions when sinister kind of just brought it up in a panel so it was really nice to go back to that kind of plot but like kana needs a vacation like every fucking thing that happens to her ever is traumatic even in like the break to other world she had to send her puppy to his death and watch him die valiantly for her like everything that happens is traumatic for her i just want her to have like a nice chill day once thank you for referring to wild child as her puppy i love that wild child's her puppy he really is And not only that, but every single person kind of had like a little bit of a break from like on when Krakoa first started. And I feel like she really hasn't gotten her break. It's just been like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like shitstorm after shitstorm for her. Yes. I love that. I love that empaths uh, happy fantasy is still him being just a horrible, terrible little shit. Like there yep. is no there is no plane of existence where empath is uh, a good, well-adjusted kid who means well, like he he is rotten to his core. He is a shit, yes. And then we get Wild Child, which was hilarious. Which was, I feel this like... This probably one of my favorites. I feel, like, I feel like we almost predicted this a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about how there should be a, a doggy park on Krakoa for all the ferals to just hang out. And we got a little glimpse oh, of hell that. no, it's Wild Child, the big dog. <laughs> Run! Wolverine and Sabretooth running away. Especially in that last panel when, like, Sabretooth yes. is, like, literally double the size of wild child but he's like yeah <laughs> i love it and Sabretooth and wild child have some history like Sabretooth, you know abused the shit out of him in multiple runs that because this is also like such a natural perfect fit like wild child is wild child is that aggressive character that like wants to be tough like he wants to like yeah you'll see but always gets his ass kicked like just actually isn't so of course his fantasy is actually being so tough that the real tough characters run from him right now. Just, it felt very perfect and, and natural, like a good fit for the characters here. You know, same with, with Nanny, having the little kid versions of all of, you know, the mutants coming to her for protection. Alex, oh God, we're not going to watch this poor bastard snog a robot, are we? <laughs> Again, man, Zebwells is a comedic genius. That <laughs> uh, was just let's such let's a great not moment. forget too that Sinister is very protective of Havoc and all of the Summerses, and no one is allowed to fuck with them except for him. He is very clear about that. It's one of my one of my favorite '90s Sinister moments. Maybe my favorite '90s Sinister moment is from X Factor. I think it's 104, 105, where Malice possesses Havoc in Hawaii, and Sinister comes and saves him. And literally, Sinister comes to the rescue because his entire thing is no one fucks with him except for me hey he loves the summers that's where his his favorite dna is kept i am also a hundred percent convinced that by when hellions resolves that we're gonna find out that whatever problems alex was having in issue one that led to him being on this team were completely manufactured by sinister Ooh, ooh, <laughs> diabolical sinister would never i love a theory right you <laughs> I, I just just more and more convinced as we go. I also do love too that Arcade's plan is to torture Sinister into making a mutant clone farm, not realizing that Sinister's favorite thing in the world to do is make people mutant clone farms. So of course he's he agrees to it without any torture. 
and then Arcade tortures him anyway. Enough of this psychosexual horror show. I accept your deal. I will build you a clone farm. Like, it didn't take much. No. No. I, I, I mean, yeah, like I was saying, that's Sinister's favorite thing to do. What do we think is up with Miss Locke? Does anyone have any theories about who or what we're getting with Miss Locke? I, that name? I think Miss Locke is a sex bot because at some point she, uh, what is it she says? She goes, oh, is it touching time? And then he like smacks her away and he says, not now. And then the confirmed voice says, Miss Locke is a, so I have a feeling that she's not a real person. I'm correcting Miss Locke, gently correcting, just confirm. But the name Locke, L-O-C-K-E. Like, obviously, it's reference to Psylocke, I feel. Well, I don't know. I mean, she's a she's not a so. new <laughs> she's not a new character. Miss Locke has no. been Arcade's sidekick for a long time. I don't know if she ever, I, I assume at some point she was a real person. I have a feeling that this one is like a life model decoy kind of situation. Yeah, I feel like there is definitely some background stuff. I'm wondering if, because Mastermind's involved, if this is someone else and we're only seeing it as Miss Locke, though, because Mastermind is manipulating the illusion. But then do you think the guy is on Mastermind's side instead of... No, because the confirmed guy was trying to say Miss Locke is... Like, he could be saying Miss Locke is actually something. Like, Miss Locke is... uh, Like, he got cut off. Yeah. Like, so I think that the confirmed guy knows exactly what Miss Locke is, but Miss Locke is not what we see Miss Locke is. And that tech that's confirming everything is probably very, very familiar with Arcade loyalty protocols loyalty protocols which again the white pages continue to delight me week in and week out seeing this seeing page two of a 13 page memo from arcade being the the shitty you know ceo of this tech startup that that we know he is just hilarious man yeah i i mean it was well done i also felt like it was kind of unnecessary though i don't know like i i felt like i didn't need it as a break in the story at that point i was disappointed you know as we're getting because i loved i love that right so psylocke wakes up from it right with you know that her daughter doesn't know her name and and you know just i want you to know how much this time meant to me like even though she knows it's fake the fact that she got an opportunity to just engage and enjoy and have peaceful calm fake time with a daughter means so much to her and then you know it goes off and as she breaks out who does she call for john call for any anyone but she calls for john gray crow which makes me so happy made me so happy it's so it's like happening they're happening it's it's awesome that made me so happy it is and i'm not a fan why not oh i just think it's it's like it needs like it's too soon like it just seems like i i like they need to flush it out more like longer you know drag it out longer like we're 10 issues in it's been such a slow burn it's not like like if this was if well, this came out of nowhere i'd be like okay what the fuck like she doesn't need but 10 no issues man. isn't that long it's not that long but like also it's just you know she had to call out yeah, like they're, they're they're not like they're not like getting married yeah. yet like they're still just like vaguely flirting with each other um like, yeah but for her to be like calling to be like calling out for him you know and like that when there's like other people she's closer to on the team on the 
team? Wasn't she close with Havoc? I mean, uh, Betsy and Havoc were close, but yes. you know, Kanon doesn't really have uh, that kind of history with him. I, I think, and I think that's why maybe they're like gravitating to each other because they're two characters that have absolutely no no history together uh, directly. That's what I mean, though, is yeah, that like uh, since I they like have it. no his since they have no history, like I would have rather them become like I just feel like we haven't gotten enough character development between the two of them in order no. to to dignify a relationship or you know i'd like to see it built a little bit a little bit more i mean i I think that it is building i don't think it's there yet i like it it reminds me a little of the and i think daniel way was the one who had started building it in thunderbolts or charles soul took over the punisher electra story because that one it kind of is similar to this in the terms that like you know with the similarities between gray crow and punisher the similarities between conan and electra but that one started completely different like that one literally started with like they had just finished like killing a whole bunch of people and then they looked around and were like let's fuck and then it like turned into feelings later but you know i i think there's a similar dynamic in the terms of like what the type of strength that they respect or see like the reflection in each other you know that that i could definitely see them as kind of like mutually appreciating or feeling a nearness towards each other especially compared to some of the other people on this team like like they hate most everyone else <laughs> there's no nearness between them two empath or or nanny or orphan maker or like like they hate most of the people on this team yeah and then you know Psylocke coming calling out to gray crow is uh powerful enough that mastermind notices that something is up and arcade you know gives the go-ahead to flip the switch and turn their sweet dreams into waking nightmares Yes, and then we see Manuel, and his turns into a nightmare um, with all the people coming back to kill him, as they should. And all the the big dogs come and start tearing and Wild Child apart. We gotta wait. We gotta take a second and just point out another big dog has joined the fray. And who yes. is it? None other than Romulus rearing his ugly head back into continuity. Uh, it's just a fever yeah. dream. We might not have to actually deal with him, you know, in the six one six again sometime soon but i don't know seeing him there just you know reminded me that that is a story that does exist and may come back to bite us all in the ass marvel fucking loves their second third fourth gen of characters like let's do let's do bad spider-man he'll be venom let's do bad venom he'll be carnage let's do bad like let's do the dark version of green goblin it'll be hobgoblin let's do the dark version of Goblin, it'll be Demo Goblin. And they've done it like 138 times with Wolverine. And there are so many goddamn Dark Wolverines that there's literally been like multiple books titled Dark Wolverine. And um I, I don't I don't need any more. I think the seven that we have running around on Krakoa right now and one in the pit are probably enough. Um Yeah, I mean but... the thing the thing that I that I dis- detest about the whole Romulus storyline isn't so much him as a character, it's how it kind of tried to retcon Wolverine and Sabretooth as being part of like a different kind of species and it was just it was like the retcon that nobody asked for that nobody needed and that flew in the face of a lot of stuff that already existed but not I'm nodding my head so hard right now yeah like it was just no like it was just so unnecessary so I I would like I would like to pretend it didn't happen but yeah yep if if master if or, or let it only exist when mastermind is in my mind making my worst 
worst dreams come to life. Fair. We get Wild Child being torn up by some alphas. We get Alex, who oddly enough, his dream never turns to a nightmare. He's still just having his, uh, you know, regular Tuesday night uh, Maddie sex dream. Complete in his Goblin Prince attire, which is just his his black leotard ripped to shreds. His shredded black leotard, and she's got him on a leash the way he likes it. And now this threw me off here. We talk about the coloring being problematic on some of these stories because black characters get whitewashed and colored down so much. And for the the sliver of a panel that we get of John Greycrow being attacked by dead, um, by people who were lost in the mutant massacre, he's colored so dark that I couldn't figure out who it was. Like I had to go back and scan up and down a couple times and make sure that like that was John Greycrow because all of a sudden like he's darker than Roberto da Costa usually is. Like... (laughs) And Roberto da Costa, as we all know, is a moving target when it comes to uh, Roberto Costa, who should be this dark or darker. And then, yes, it's as light as Siren half the time. Yeah. I mean, I knew exactly where we were, not because of his coloration, but because uh, Lorelai with with, like the rainbow hair or beautiful dreamer or what what the hell is this one's name? She made it onto X-Men, the animated series. We saw her in like an episode. Mm -hmm. No. And that's what I thought. But I, I had to stop and like scroll up and down and like double triple check to make sure like is that supposed to be like that's not gray crow like that's not how you would color gray crow right um but i guess it was it's a little dark and off um but so we get that really nice page like well laid out and designed showing us you know the nightmares coming for all of the marauders before our final page with arcade and sinister sinister who's missing a whole bunch of chiclets and confirms that they're about to make some clones I want to know what's going to happen with the clones, what characters or, or clones he's looking to make, and if they are actually ever going to be made, right? I, I, I don't think so. I think what we're going to see is Mastermind. I Honestly, I am happy to see that Mastermind is not here. We haven't even touched on this. He's not here right. just because he's a bad guy. Like we all said, you know, the last in the last issue that we covered, we were like, oh, well, some people are just going to be irredeemable fucks no matter what. And, you know, the promise of per- Koa is not good enough for them so they're just gonna you know they they don't know how not to backstab people and we thought that that was probably going to be about it as far as masterminds uh you know motivations and we're seeing now that actually he's here because arcade loyalty protocols right loyalty protocols uh uh, arcade has kidnapped one of his daughters one of the ladies mastermind uh and which one is this i was just gonna say i get them all mixed up is this the same daughter of mastermind that they rescued in giant size nightcrawler oh shit no i think the one in giant size nightcrawler was reagan i am 99 percent sure the one for the the one in because there's yes. the blonde one and the she's brunette. the yes 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 i and, i couldn't remember reagan. i thought it was the blonde but i also thought it was martinique i got their names mixed up i i, I couldn't yeah. remember which one was which because in my defense they have been made fairly interchangeable over the history of ethnic comics well and god bless whoever decided to give martinique the same outfit as reagan um because that wasn't like initially the case and i'm glad they did because i love that costume design i, I it's like chris bachalo bachalo just again kills i do him. too but i don't need you making it more confusing for me to remember which lady mastermind is which i mean if you're gonna have here's the thing though if you're gonna have two daughters with the same code names then for me just yes give them the same outfit and in my head i'm gonna make them uh fraternal twins i'm pretty sure there's more than two it's part of the illusion 
Well, and then there's also Pixie, their half sister. There's more than two. So, so th- I mean, look, Mastermind had other options, right? He didn't necessarily have to go along with Arcade's, you know, games to save his daughter. I think he could have done something differently, but you know, that's that that's where we're at, and I'm happy about it because also it we're in Krakoan Protocol world. Can't you just let Arcade kill her and then resurrect her? Okay, that is fucked up. Have you not read New Mutants? <gasps> Just because you can be resurrected doesn't mean that dying doesn't suck. We can't just like treat characters like that. No, how like, dare you even ask a question like that? Come on. I'm can't... sorry. I was not offended when I found out that they sent Bishop to kill Cyclops and Storm or whoever else was King and Black um, because they're just going to resurrect them. Like that feels like the new SOP. <sighs> okay, not that you valid. always. That's valid. But yeah, I mean, I think that would make for some pretty boring stories and you yeah. can't just go resurrecting no, no. somebody until you know that they're confirmed dead that's fair no and i'm i'm okay with him i'm okay with him playing along with this like i don't think it's a problem but i, I do I think would... we're gonna get a clone farm i think rk is gonna get a clone farm i think that even if that like the hellions break out of this and they win and they defeat arcade and they all go off on their own i think sinister comes back and makes them a clone farm anyway because sinister likes to make clone farms and then rk is gonna have a whole bunch of fucking x-men clones to fuck with people in murder world i thought they were having clones clones of himself that's what i got Um... no i think he wants to replace the robots because he's got all of these shitty little robots he hates that he needs mastermind to uh, get in their mind so they think the robots are people and he wants actual clones of the people that he can control and have real like real x-men clones of his own to kill people in murder world Got it. I missed That's that. That's what I got. I missed that, that. That was my take. My take isn't always right. Well, it sure beats watching them bounce around in a giant pinball machine, or at least that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> I, I love that they kind of, that Zub kind of implies like, this is Murder World 2021, but yeah, he probably would have preferred just like the old school theatrics of, of the original Murder World. I want clones of my own to fill Murder World with horrors and delights, and I will have them or you will burn in my madness. So he doesn't really say. It's it's kind of left ambiguous. Mm-hmm. It's, he just wants clones, of it, whether it's himself or like the X Men or yeah. No, I definitely think it's it's he wants his own X Men. That would make more some sense. Also, there. why yeah. would he want clones of himself? They can't do anything. At least it's they with the X Men, they can do shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants X Men clones. <sighs> yeah, right. Ar- Arcade's a great villain because he's like the kind of villain that he's never anybody's favorite. You know, he's there's nothing like innately cool about him. He's just he's a good. Uh, you know, uh, just a good guy to not like, you know. I don't just... like Arcade, but I like Arcade's stories because oftentimes we get really, really cool art of Murder World characters or Murder World robots that look like X-Men characters fighting other X-Men characters. Um, and we get really great scenes of, you know, like I think back, I, my favorite one is probably, I want to say it's Uncanny 171, the one where Mystique is training in Murder World and doing an agreement with Arcade and we see her going through trying to assassinate and kill each of the X-Men one by one in in an arcade murder world. Um, and it, it's just such a, like, the art on it, even though that's not really the characters in canon, like, the art and the story on it is just so much fun to go back and read and reread. And it was beautiful John Romita art back when John Romita, J.R.J.R. art was beautiful. Yeah, I love, I, I love John Romita's art. It's something that I appreciate more now that I'm older. When I was, a, when I was younger, it was kind of like, why does, why does everything 
everybody's so boxy. Uh, but it, yeah, I love John Romita's art. Well, see, I, I think it works well in certain stories. I think it worked really well um, on the Captain America run he did with Rick Remender because it was supposed to take place in like a warp dimension. And also he had Claus Jansen inking him and Claus Jansen makes anyone look good. I like his earlier stuff. I like his like first run on X-Men with Claremont around this time. I think that that was some of my favorite Romita art. I also like when he works with his dad on occasion, like he did on Spider-Man. I want to say it's 500 where I think, I think his, I don't remember if he inked his dad or his, I think his dad inked him and it was just gorgeous. Like their styles together matched so well um, and made for a really beautiful comic. What do you guys think is next for our Hellions? And and looking past Murder World, what else uh, do you guys want to see this book tackle? Because it sounds like it might be an ongoing. Um, I know that there was some fear that it was going to end around issue 11 or something, uh, but it looks like we're going to keep on trucking. Yeah, I definitely want more of this just because it's one of my favorite books. Definitely top three. And I think it's kind of bringing up themes that I'm really interested in. I'd like to see just like the group dynamic expanded more just because we haven't really gotten to explore Grey Crow as much with like his kind of backstory. We got a little bit of it here though. More stuff with like the robots and kind of evolving that kind of plot point. And yeah, that's kind of on pause for now. But yeah. If I had to, you know, make a wager, I would say that Hellions is probably coming to an end after this arc. Um, And some of that is just confirmed from what we saw with Cable coming to an end and the fact that we have so many other new things starting now um, in terms of Way of X and X-Core and Children of the Atom that I would love for the X line to expand so we get three titles a week every week, but I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen. We just also got Sword. I think it can only get so big before it starts cutting away at people's budgets and what you're seeing is other X books sacrificed in sales yeah but i think i think like just to compare those two cable and hellions like cable feels like a redundancy especially because we're now he's in the sword book right mm-hmm. like i don't think he was ever anybody's first choice for a solo or a solo title but that's what we got and it's it's been a really fun run it makes sense to me that that's going to come to an end hellions on the other hand feels to me kind of like marauders in that i see it as not just a limited book but kind of a new temple for the Krakoa era where even if this team gets shuttered or Zeb moves on and is done with the book I feel like the Hellions mask now can be kind of our suicide squad our thunderbolts our you know whatever other sloppy analogy you want to put in there where we can have different obscure characters come in and get rehab and that's what I, I would agree. love I've been saying I would love to see this be the rotating redemption tour book yeah yeah I, I would even, love to like, see this on go even for like years and years and years and years and years and years to come like kind of make it like that's what like if x factor is the investigation book which it ha- kind of sort of has been for a while then hellions is the redemption book but yeah i, I hope yeah. so because i, I, I hope so it. too i don't want to see it end but you know after those rumors seeing cable coming to an end and more new titles announced it, it just makes me makes me wonder unfortunately you know i feel like the business side could make it a real thing i do not want to see this book end i enjoy reading this book i think it serves a good place in the line but also because these are the least popular characters manning a book on any book in the line i could i could see it yeah it's funny because really the only 
the only two like i guess mainstream characters are havoc and conan and but she's not the main psylocke it's betsy who's the main psylocke so it's kind of like you know it's it and havoc is not that like if we're talking i mean he's a popular x-men character but he can't hold a book yes exactly so it's it is like talking about like underused characters throughout x-men like you know we've been talking about it a lot especially this year um so it does make like another good book to reinvent characters make them more interesting in that i mean i know that we all kind of like live in this uh you know little x twitter bubble i like to imagine that all the positive sentiment around this book isn't just limited to our little limited bubble you know i hope it's translating into sales i'm hoping that the x office is you know taking notice that this is a very viable title as soon as you said oh i'm i have a you know i i wonder if this book is going to come to a close i gasped i'm like don't even speak that into the universe josh 